Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is altars. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, altars, we're picking something, I don't know, not light and fluffy, but not quite as heavy as perhaps has been uh-huh. recently. <laughs> Fair enough. I was looking for a topic and I came across something that was talking about structures and bits and pieces of what's in a church as far as worship goes. And I don't really have any idea what the background is on an altar other than I'm assuming it was something to sacrifice. Yeah. On. Yeah. And we should make it clear, this is altar spelled with an A. So A-L-T-A-R, not a l. T-E-R. We're not changing things. We're not altering things. It's an altar with an A-R at the end. And this is the big, usually in congregations, it's towards the back of the sanctuary wall and a big space where worship happens at. It's like a glorified table, for lack of a better term. Well, it's interesting because I think that there's actually a liturgical difference when we call something an altar and when we call something a table. Ooh, and what is that difference? And we have this at Central. Okay. Because we have the high altar and then we have our communion table. And it was an intentional choice made at this congregation about eight and a half, nine years ago. Okay. So the high altar is the big marble thing in the in the back of our sanctuary. <laughs> okay. So when you're looking at our sanctuary and you see the great big actual area where worship is led from, then at the very top, there's like steps up and various platforms. Mm-hmm. Kind of the highest point is our high altar. And it has a marble top to it and a big heavy wood base and it's not movable we can't shift it it doesn't go anywhere and that's the high altar and that absolutely you're you're right it's that sacrificial imagery that comes out of the hebrew scripture and the idea of our sacrifices to god and the imagery of communion being the final sacrifice okay And Jesus being the final sacrifice. And so we go to the altar with our offerings and we go to the altar with the things that we are giving to God, the sacrificial items that we release. And so in a theology that holds strong to this concept of Jesus as the final sacrifice, an altar is a strong symbol for that. Now, a lot of churches historically built pre-Vatican II, I believe, had their altars up against the back wall. Oh, all the way back. All the way back, so that pastors can't even get behind it to face the people when presiding at communion. So you preside with your back to the congregation when you have an altar that's attached to the wall. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Lots of churches have that. Luckily, I've never served at one like that. (laughs) But... (laughs) But that's one of those functions where you can see kind of the age of the architecture of a congregation. I'm trying to remember from my Catholic upbringing, because I know the altar was in the middle, but if they still served it with their back to me, because I remember seeing the back Mm -hmm. of robes a lot more as a Mm -hmm. child. That's the image in my head. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. They may well have. I don't know exactly when the switch came. 
But in the last, you know, years of my service in the faith, many congregations have been moving, either pulling their altar off the wall and moving it forward so that the pastor could face the congregation when serving, or they've done what Central has done, and they've created another piece of furniture, a communion table, instead of an altar. So in that sense, the difference is, for us, our table is closer to the people. Our table can be moved easily. We can shift it and move it in different, maybe not easily. I mean, you need at least two people to move that beast, but relatively, you know, relatively easily. It's not marble, right? <laughs> or attached to the floor. We could move it down among the people. We could move it into another room if we wanted to and create the table there. And it's a stronger theological focus then on the invitational meal rather than the sacrificial nature of the meal. It's a subtle theological shift, especially if it's never called out, but it shows a congregation that is focusing quite a bit on kind of the communality of our ministry and our work together rather than the sacrificial servant nature of it. Is that a Lutheran thing or is that a congregation by congregation thing? Congregation by congregation. Okay. Absolutely. So has every church that you've ever served in had, they've all had to have some sort of an altar, haven't they? Isn't that an altar or a table? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it can be an altar or a table or both. Correct. Okay. And it's like saying there's a pulpit or a lectern or maybe there is no pulpit or maybe the pulpit is the lectern. Okay. Right. So the pulpit is where the person preaches from. A lectern is where things are read from. A very traditional Lutheran service space, which ours was. We have a pulpit in the back, mm -hmm. by the way. As the congregation is looking up towards the center front worship area, the chancel area, on the right-hand side would be the pulpit, and on the left-hand side would be the lectern. And the lectern would be smaller and not elevated and wouldn't necessarily have closed insides. Okay. And the pulpit on the right-hand side may even have steps to go up to it. European churches, you can see, sometimes have really highly elevated ones. Some of that is for acoustics, right? Because back yeah. in the day, there was mm -hmm. no microphone to be able to project your voice. So they're going to use right. natural acoustic abilities. Right. And so with these different kinds of pieces, you would see how congregations would shift. And you could see the formality or the informality of a congregation based on what kind of furniture was up front. Yeah, it's fascinating. So when it comes to something like an altar, if you're going to go traditional, are there like size requirements or materials that it's traditionally built out of? Or is it just got to be a big thing in the back of the church? It varies. And I think that it varies on what kind of aesthetic your architecture is calling for. Okay. But a large table, big enough to hold all the things that you need it to hold, and to do so with, I want to say enough pomp, like enough space that you're not crowded. Okay. What do you traditionally put on there? Two candles. Okay. You want room for your presider's book. And those can be massive. Those can be large because we want to be able to read them from a distance without having to hold them close to our faces. So the presider's book is a large print book. 
because we read it from about three to four feet away. Sure. So a substantial book, your chalice, your patent, which is the plate that the bread is on. And that's pretty much all that should be on there when you're presiding. And then off to the side, there will be a concordance table, a table where if you had additional chalices or extra bread or any of that kind of stuff, all of that should be over on the side. As my worship teacher said, you shouldn't have a forest of chalices on your altar okay, or on your table. Now we do. We, <laughs> we have our, our little forest of chalices. We have the chalice that I raise. And then we have our second chalice of wine and then our two chalices of grape juice that all are on the altar there. And then I have the plate that has the host on it. And then there's the two plates of extra bread on the side, right? So the table needs to hold a lot of stuff without looking cluttered. Okay. Is the goal. So it needs to be of decent size. Oh, fascinating. What about the material? Does it have to be marble or it just has mm -hmm. to be substantial some way? Or is that just a, an aesthetics thing? It's an aesthetic thing. Okay. I have made an altar out of a folding plastic card table and a quilt that was left on the side. Like at our church, there's a set of stairs and there's a place where folks who are homeless or houseless sometimes stay. And there was a quilt that had been abandoned there. And I took it home and cleaned it mightily. And that has become an altar cloth for outdoor worship. And that can become an altar. So anything can become an altar if you need it to. Yes. It's your intention of it. And an altar is a place to remember. Okay. Right? A place to intentionally create space to remember and to honor. And... I think that when we think about altars, there's a sacrificial altar, there is a memorial altar. Another fancy schmancy word that sometimes people wonder about is there's a hymn that we sing, Come Thou Font of Every Blessing. And one of the lines is, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Okay. And an Ebenezer is an altar. Oh, fascinating. There's a whole new bent to the Christmas carol for me. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Right. So an Ebenezer is an altar to the things that you hold precious, an altar to remember, an altar to give glory and honor. So throughout scripture, we see different people, particularly around the time of death, put rocks on top of rocks to build an altar, to build an Ebenezer. And so how we create spaces to remember and altars to remember things, this then goes back to our podcast about building a home altar, right? Mm -hmm. And a home memorial space. So it's lots of different things. I typically think of it as this massive formal thing that it's hard for me to translate into something that is smaller, intimate, and in my own home. Yeah. Which I think yeah. is part of the problem that people may have with trying to worship effectively in a pandemic when you can't mm. actually go to a church. Yeah. It is easier in some ways. We have trained ourselves to see the holy in the big things rather than in the small moments. Mm -hmm. And it is easier to see God in gold than it is to see God in dirt. And yet our God is the God of mud pies, <laughs> right? 
Our God is the God that creates out of dirt and water put together and makes humanity come forth from the mud. And so high altars, these big, grand, gorgeous, beautiful things may be what we want, but they certainly aren't necessary to be present with God. So let me ask you this. When it comes to the service itself, is communion the only thing that the altar is used for? Communion is the primary purpose of the table or the altar in our setting. In a funeral, even, we don't, unless we're serving communion, we don't use the table or the altar at all. Everything takes place at the pulpit or the lectern or at the remains, whether that be an urn or a coffin for the individual and the baptismal font. So unless a family has opted to serve communion, the table isn't even used. Oh, interesting. Do you see sort of a shift going away from a high altar into something more like a communion table, something a little more, I don't want to say informal, but engageable perhaps? For many congregations, yes, that is the movement right now in common liturgical practice in our denomination. But that doesn't mean that it's the case everywhere. There are plenty of congregations and high church congregations that still hold on to those practices. And particularly in other denominations, you know, the high altar will probably remain forever in denominations of faith, such as the Orthodox Church. Sure. I don't think the Catholics are going to get rid of it anytime soon either. Yeah. But it would be interesting to see what newer churches being built are doing. If it's Mm -hmm. something that's theologically created and designed for, or if it's something that is more towards whatever the building choice is. Yeah. I don't know. It's fascinating. And it's a definite choice when designing a space. We had the pleasure and delight to design the table that was recently built for Central. They had been using a conference table when I arrived. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They opted to move from the high altar down to the conference table, a layer or two down, step or two down in our chancel, I think about a year and a half before I was called, maybe less. And so for the first year or two that I was there, we were using that conference table and it was really low. And so it was a little hard to preside at communion because it was kind of below waist level okay. and leaning down awkwardly to pick things up. And the book was really far away. Good thing I had young eyes. And we had within our congregation someone who has been a liturgical furniture designer around the country. I had no idea such a, a thing renown. existed, but it makes sense. Yeah, very, very gifted and talented designer of liturgical furniture. And the last thing that he designed was our table. And on his deathbed, I promised him that it would be finished. And he had chosen the wood for the legs, and he had designed the carving for the front, and he had designed the overall piece, but hadn't finished finding all the wood that he wanted to use. And so his nephew, who is a boat maker. Oh, wow. Took the plans and the wood that he had found and he finished the piece for us. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of furniture, but we had the joy of getting to be a part of designing and creating what that would look like in our space and what we valued and what we wanted to focus on in what would be represented by that table. 
Is this something that has to be like blessed before you use it the first time or you get to install it and do it once and it's good for forever? It just, that doesn't even matter. We did bless it. It was really fun. Mm -hmm. We had the first day that it was there in worship, that was the children's sermon. The children all came up and put their hands on the table and we prayed for it. And we prayed for it to bless those who were there now and to bless these children as they grew up and to bless their children as they grew up, that this would be a table where all would feel welcome and all would be nourished and be given hope. And we did that as the children's sermon, the very first Sunday that the table was present. Nice. Okay, that's going to bring me to my last question then. For right now, since we are not actually worshiping in the church itself, do you miss having that altar there? I miss... Not just the altar or the table or the pulpit. I miss the space. I think more than just about anything when it comes to the high altar or the table, when I preside, I use all of my wingspan in order to preside. I use, you know, my my hands go out and encompass the room and all of those things. When I'm presiding on Zoom, if I use my arms straight out, you can't see them. And so I'm locked into this two inches from my face space to preside from, and everything gets condensed into these tiny little movements. And my neck and my shoulders and my head are so tight and tense because everything I'm doing to preside for God's people is happening in about a six-inch bubble around my face. And I miss the freedom of the space of the sanctuary. And I miss our ability to embody our faith in larger ways and to see those symbols that we may not acknowledge or notice, but that inform our faith quietly every Sunday that we gather. So I miss those things. And I am so grateful that we continue to be able to gather in any way during this time. And so I'm sure that eventually when we do return to on-site worship in our facility, that there will be things about the Zoom service that I will miss. Sure. And that will be fascinating to see what is it that will be missed from not having this format anymore when eventually we return. I hope to get to that podcast someday and talk about just that. Ah, a good follow-up. Uh-huh. And hopefully sooner rather than later. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about altars. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for listening along. If you have a favorite picture of an altar that you have experienced in your lifetime, we would love to see it. Feel free to post it on our Facebook page reach out to us. You can reach us at podcast at centralportland.org by email or find us on social media. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.